It is a pleasure to be with you this morning as we dive into the Word of God together. If you are a guest, welcome to First Baptist Church of Thibodeau. And if you are a member, know that we've been praying for you. As Brother Yui just read through the text, we've been walking through the book of 1 Samuel. It's always important to read the Holy Word of God to get context. Um, so as we do that together every Sunday morning, uh, please be engaged. It's easy for us to be distracted, um, but read the text before. Read the text as, we, as uh, someone comes up here and read. Um, pay attention to what's being said uh, so God can speak to you through his word, right? This is why we do expository preaching is because we want God's word to speak to us. Um, today's sermon is titled, A Worldly Leader. Transitions in life are inevitable. They are inevitable. We have many occasions that we have transitions in life, and sometimes we are fearful of the transitions that we encounter. Uh, sometimes because of the fact that it's uncertain, we have no clue exactly what will happen, but transitions in life can be a little painful, right? When you think about it, you think about certain individuals and nations when they transition with something, right? Whatever it is they're going through, they are transitioning. And a lot of times in that transition, what you believe will help you transition well. If your belief is kind of warped, man, you're not going to transition well. But if, if your belief in God and your trust in God, that will be able to help you through every transition in life. For example, think about personal stuff such as um, moving from being an adolescent to that of an adult, a teenager to an adult, right? That's a major transition. And some people have some very difficult time with that. Uh, for example, going from high school to college, that's a major transition as well. Uh, for example, from work to retirement, that's a major transition as well. From marriage to widowhood, that's a major transition. So what you believe will help you with certain transitions. And here specifically in chapter 9 of the book of 1 Samuel, we see a major transition in the life of the Israelites. They are transitioning from having basically judges to uh, being with Eli and his sons to uh, a prophet such as Samuel to now transitioning into the kingship altogether. They will have a king. That's a major transition for them. But we notice, again, what you believe will help you in your transition. And in chapter 8, we are given a perfect example of what the Israelites believe. Instead of turning to God, they turn to what? Themselves. And they said to God, give us a king like the other nations. Instead of them believing that God is their only king, they believed in something else. And what did God say to Samuel? Go ahead then and obey their voices. That is, obey the voices of the people and make them a king. And now chapter 9 provides for us a record of what actually took place. Here is a transition. Here is a record of actually what took place. In chapter 9, we see that God has chosen for himself or chosen for the people, a worldly king. God, I didn't misspeak, 
God chose for the people a worldly king. Why is that? Because they were asking for a worldly king, so God gave them a worldly king. We also notice here, since they're asking for it, we too must be very careful in our petition. Be careful what you ask God. Because sometimes if you ask for the wrong things, he might even give you the wrong things to teach you a lesson. And this is what we find in the life of the Israelites. They're asking for something that is wrong. God gave it to them. Just like I shared with you last week in Romans chapter 1, God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. So be careful in your petition. Make sure that you're praying God's will. Make sure that you understand scripture. Make sure that what you're asking is not rooted in your selfishness, but it's rooted in God's glory. So with that said, this morning, I want us to see three points in this sermon. One, Saul's description. Saul's description. Here is the worldly leader, the worldly king that God has chosen for the people because they requested a king like the other nations. And God said, that's what you want, I will give it to you. So here is Saul. So here we have a description of Saul, verses 1 through 2. Two, Saul's difficulty. Saul's difficulty. We see this in verses 3 through 9. And 3, Saul's anointing. Saul's anointing. We see this in verses 10 through 27. My prayer is that you're ready to dive into the Word of God. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. Most importantly, pray that the Spirit of God could speak to your heart through His Word. Do not be distracted and trust in God. Let me pray for us as before we dive into the word of God. Father, we are here before you, sinful men, sinful men. God, it's amazing that you have chosen sinful men to articulate a perfect word. And there's no way that we can do this on our own. There's no way I can do this on my own. I am before you, Father, asking to forgive me of my sins, I'm asking that you look upon me and you see the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that you lavish mercy and grace upon us. As we think deeply about the work of Christ, we are thankful for Jesus who will never leave us or forsake us. We are thankful that even when our hearts are designed to leave and walk away, that God is faithful to keep us. God, this is what we are praying for this morning. Keep us, lead us, guide us. But teach us what we do not know. Make us what we are not and give us what we do not have. We ask all of this in Jesus' mighty and precious name. And God's people said, amen, amen. The first point here is Saul's description. Saul's description. If you notice in your own Bibles, in verses 1 through 2, we see what the people were looking for. Now, I just want to share this with you. When God looks for a leader, God is not looking for the outward appearance. God is looking for the heart. But worldly leaders look for the outward appearance. They look for certain characteristics to be aggressive, to be loud, to be charismatic. God, on the other hand, when he looks for a leader, he looks for the heart. And here specifically, the narrator is going to tell us about 
Saul's description. He describes Saul. The first thing he does here is that he describes Saul's lineage, a Benjamite. You notice this. He is from the tribe of Benjamin. I cannot help but think of the New Testament writer Paul himself in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 3 in verse 4, he talks about all of his accomplishments. He, he says, look, man, I, I was circumcised on the eighth day, a tribe from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrew. I was a Pharisee. And the apostle Paul is saying, look at my resume on the world's standpoint. Look at my resume. The world would love my resume. And then in verse 7, he says, I counted all these things as loss. And then in verse 8 of Philippians chapter 3, he says, I am still counting all of these things as loss for the surpassing knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. And I count these things as rubbish. And here we notice the opposite here. That Saul being a Benjamite is exalted. But in the book of Philippians, Paul says, I don't care about all of these accomplishments. When it comes to Jesus, that's what I care about. I don't care about my self-righteousness. I care about Jesus' righteousness. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, he says, Not the righteousness that is found in me, my self-righteousness, but the righteousness that is found in Christ. Tell them, Paul, and here we have Saul's lineage. He is a Benjamite. He's a Benjamite. Second, we are told about his money or his family's money. His family was pretty wealthy. This is exactly what the text says. His dad was wealthy. And here's another reason why we see this problem in the world and also in the church. So leaders are picked because of their pedigree, because of their money, not because of their spirituality. Show me your bank account and I'll make you a leader is what the world is saying and even the church is saying. There's a major issue here. So, so Saul comes from money. Wow, the leaders are going to love this. The elders are going to say, that's my man. That's the one I want. Not only that, third, we're given a description about his appearance. The name Saul himself, itself, basically means ask for. The play on word here. They're requesting a king, and God chose a man by the name of Saul. Ask for. <laughs> Should repent then. You're asking for him, I'll give it to you. His name is Saul. Ask for. And notice as well what it mentions here. Saul was a handsome man. Indeed, according to the text in verse 2, reading your own Bibles, there was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. The Hebrew word handsome here simply means good. In other words, at this point, Saul made a very good impression both in appearance and attitude. He was probably very charismatic as well. He was the kind of guy that would light up the room for you, man. Not only physically was he handsome, his attitude seems to attract so many people. 
And the elders are saying, that's my man. That's my guy. That's the one I want. I like it how one commentator mentions, he puts that in our culture. And he says, people would have voted him Mr. Israel had there been such a contest. <laughs> He's absolutely right. Friends, in the world, such as things like this, the, the, the stature, the, the, the physical aspect of things is what people are looking at. That's what they're looking at to make someone a leader. As a matter of fact, in verse 2, it says, from his shoulder upward, Saul was taller than all of the people. Now watch this. I don't want you to miss this. Watch this. This is the beauty of Scripture. Do you know that Saul is the only one in Scripture that is identified biblically, Israelite, identified for his stature, how tall he is? The only Israelite in the Bible. As a matter of fact, every time that word is used, it's used to describe, it was a mark of the enemies of God's people. It was a mark of the enemies of God's people. For example, we have Numbers chapter 13, verse 33. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 28. Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 10. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 2. And 1 Samuel 17, verse 4. Every time it's used, it's used in the context of describing God's enemies. They are tall. They are big. They seem to be great. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 28, where are you going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. Here you have it. There is a description of these people. And now the narrator is describing Saul in the same way. This is an indication. This is not the man of God. This is an indication of a worldly leader. But what is God looking for? In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, when God picked David to be the king, we notice that Saul entered into the house of Jesse, Samuel entered into the house of Jesse, and he saw one of David's brothers, and he saw his physical stature. And God says to Samuel this, but the Lord said to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 7, do not look on his appearance or on his height or on his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Here is a description of the man that they want to be the king. And friends, listen to me very carefully. Come in closer and don't, don't miss this. Don't miss this. This is the same problem that we have in the world today, that we want leaders, leaders that exemplify certain things like this, characteristics of the world. We, we want leaders that are, are, are very strong in the sense of being very aggressive. We, we, want, we want leaders to, to knock people down and not serve. 
We, we want leaders that have money, and, and we want leaders that have a, a certain amount of stature, and, and leaders that have a certain amount of, uh, of, 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 of love among other people, in a sense, acceptance from other people. But friends, here in Scripture, God is calling for a leader to be a man of God, a man who loves Jesus, a man who cares for Jesus, a man who cares about the things of God, a spiritual person. Give me a spiritual person, and you will find that he will change the world. You think about Jesus. Think about Jesus. Jesus chose 12 ordinary men to do extraordinary things. Twelve ordinary men, men that were cast aside, a tax collector, men who were fishing. And Jesus used them to change the world. Men that were rejected by the world, Jesus chose. So when we're looking for a leader, we need to find the marks of spiritual leadership in them. Now, the marks of Saul here. Notice with me the second point, Saul's difficulty. Saul's difficulty. We see this in verses 3 through 9. What, what do you mean, his difficulty? Well, the story of Saul begins with this common event in agriculture. And here he is saying to us that something happened. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 3, if you're reading your own Bibles, now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish sent to Saul his son, take one of the young men with you and arise and go and look for the donkeys. So this is a problem. Don't meet, miss God's sovereignty in the midst of all of this. Don't, don't miss this. God caused that to happen so that Saul will go and find the prophet of God. Don't, don't miss this. It is oftentimes when we are squeezed as a person that whatever is in us comes out. And difficulties are used to show who we really are. And here in this text, we notice that Saul is faced with a very difficult situation. And it is in that difficulty that we begin to see who Saul really is. Who is Saul? Don't, don't miss that Saul had to go to Samuel. Don't, don't miss that in every aspect of our life, the mundane things of our life, the random details of our life, God is involved. Come in closer and write this down if you can. God works in and through the random details of our lives. He does. He does. Not only that, but notice with me what the text is telling us about Saul's inability to lead. I do not want you to miss this because that's what the narrator wants us to see. It wants us to see a worldly leader. And the first thing here. It tells us that Saul's ability for spiritual leadership is tainted by his inability to find his father's lost donkeys. What? I mean, think, think with me. Kevin, like the donkeys, laugh. Like he, he's at least going out and trying to find the donkeys. 
I mean, how can we blame anything on Saul at this point? What, what, is, what, what exactly are you talking about? And I don't want you to miss this because this is a mark of spirituality in the Old Testament as well. So, some of the greatest men were, were, were what? They were shepherds as well. Abraham was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. And we will see that David will be a shepherd. But one of the great marks about these men is that they were good shepherds. Because they were good shepherds over the flock, the animal, it showed that they were also good shepherd over God's people. Here, Saul can even find the donkeys. Although he's trying to go, it shows that he is not a good shepherd at all. Later on, we will hear about David, who is a really good shepherd, right? That when animals came to destroy his flock, that David stood and defended the flock. That's a good trait. Because if you can do that, you can care for God's people. When we look in the New Testament, it's no longer about having sheep or donkeys or animals or goats. It's all about your family. So in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the apostle Paul says, do you really want to know who is a good shepherd in the church? Watch how he shepherds his family. Watch how he shepherds his family. So if he shepherds his family, he is able to shepherd the flock of God. In the same way, in the Old Testament, it was how they shepherd their flock. So here specifically, we see his lack of leadership and his inability to find the lost donkeys. As a matter of fact, the donkeys were smarter than him. The donkeys actually end up going back home before he can find the donkeys. The narrator is showing us something very significant here. Friends, don't miss this. One of the most important qualifications of a spiritual leader is his faithfulness in watching over God's flock. And we will notice that in the life of Saul. Saul will be moved by his emotions and he will follow a lot of what people are telling him and we will notice his destruction as we continue to move on in the narrative. Second, don't miss this, second. Some scholars argue that Saul's concern over the gift for the men of God was more a mere social courtesy by his belief that God's servants were to be hired with cash. It wasn't a really concern about the man of God. He just thought to himself, well, we, I can buy him. I could, I could pay him all of this so he can give me what I want. This is a major issue for us even in our own world. We look at pastors, we look at churches as a business. As a business. And that is a major problem, friends. Don't miss this. The church is not a business. The church is the ecclesia, the called out ones. The church or God's people meeting together to make much of God. It is not a business. We don't have a CEO here. The only head here is Jesus. And we must get this. We must see this. But notice with me as well the third point here that we must see about Saul. Third, notice Saul's ignorance of the man of God of whom the servant referred to. See in your own Bibles. This is mind-boggling. If you've been following through the book of 1 Samuel, this will make sense, okay? Now, now notice this. 
In 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 6, verse 6. But he said to him, Behold, there is a man, this is a servant, a man of God in the city, and he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says come true. So now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Who's talking? It's the servant. That's Saul. That's all. As a matter of fact, Saul should have known that there is a prophet around. But he did not know that. Notice exactly what the text mentioned in, in 1 Samuel chapter 4, 4, verse 1. The word of the Lord, or the word of Samuel, came to all of Israel. In chapter 3, verse 20, we learn a very important passage of Scripture as well. All Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. Except, except Saul. Except Saul. Well, how do we know this? Even when Saul went to Samuel, he had no clue it was Samuel. He went to Samuel and said, I'm here to see the prophet. And Samuel's like, it's me. It's me. Saul should have known who this man was. But the reason why Saul doesn't know is because Saul is not a spiritual person. Coming closer and get this. Saul had been too busy becoming outwardly impressive to take any interest in spiritual matters. So busy. Thinking about the wealth, thinking about his physical appearance, thinking about his charisma perhaps, but not in spiritual matters. At this point in life, knowing that there is a man of God, if you are a spiritual person, you would want to know more. You would want to know more like David did, but not Saul here. Not Saul. What else do we see here, friends? Don't, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Fourth, we observe that while Saul was in charge, it was actually his servant who led and Saul followed. Do you see it? A leader. He, he's following instead of leading. It's his servant who said, hey, there is difficulty here. We have a difficult problem. Let's turn to God. Let's turn to the seer. Let's turn to the prophet. It wasn't Saul. He's not a spiritual person here. His servant is more spiritual than he is. So how is he able to lead God's people in the right way? He cannot, and he will not. All of the qualifications that we see here are worldly qualifications. And there are a lot of Saul's in our lives, right? Friends, don't miss this. Don't miss this. There are a lot of Saul's in our lives, people with a lot of ambition but no conviction. There are a lot of souls in our lives at our job site who constantly want to climb up the corporate ladder but constantly belittling and bringing people down. There are a lot of souls in our lives such as politicians who are mastering the gift or the talent of speaking, public speaking, but yet they are never telling us the truth. There are a lot of souls in our lives and churches that they come and they have a lot of money and they want to be placed in high positions in the church, but yet they have no fellowship with God. We see you, Saul. We see you, Saul. 
And friends, as the church, we should not accept such things. As the church, we should pursue what is spiritual and pursue a spiritual leader. Saul is the kind of man who often come with a sense of prominence and power. But Jesus' men, Jesus' women, are people who come and desire to serve. We want to serve God. There's servant leadership. That's the biblical leadership. And we see that in David. Even before David became a king, David's like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Blaspheme in my God's name. We see it in David, but we don't see it in Paul, Saul. We don't see it in Saul. And third, let's take a look at the third and final point here. I want you to see this, friends, as we're walking through this. Notice this as well in verses 10 through 27. And I want to make this very clear statement, and I want you to look at me. Because this statement is very important. I don't want you to misunderstand this statement. God choosing of a leader does not mean that it is the best for us. Wow. Okay, Kevin, what do you mean by that? Isn't everything that God does is good? Yes. Yes. But sometimes God gives us what we ask for. Sometimes even in government and politics that we ask and we ask for an ungodly person and God says, here it is, have him. Even so in churches, God says, that's what you want, here it is. And what is the reason for God to give us such things? It's to teach us, to teach us Repentance to teach us that what we are requesting, what we are asking for is not of him. So be careful how we pray. Be careful how we pray. And here in this text that God chose Samuel based on the people's requests. This is how amazing our God is. He chose Saul based on the people's requests. So here it is, the donkeys are missing. And we notice Saul and his servant encountered these women. And the women told them specifically that Samuel will come. Samuel will be with us. And in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 12 through 13, they answered, He is, behold, he is just ahead of you. Hurry, he has come just now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat till he comes. Since he must bless the sacrifice afterwards, those who are invited will eat. Now, go up, for you will meet him immediately. And here in the text, we learn several things from Samuel's encounter with God and Samuel's encounter with Saul. Notice very carefully, point number one, what do we learn? Samuel here teaches us, and he learned as well, that he was to anoint Saul as prince and commander. He learned that, that Saul's going to come tomorrow, you see him, you anoint him. This here gives us a great picture of how God is still in control. 
God is saying to Samuel, this is what the people want, but it's my choice. I'm going to pick that man to give to them so that they can repent. I will give them that man. So here is Samuel anointing Saul. You will pick him. You will anoint him. Second, God's intention was that Saul would save his people from the hands of the Philistines. This is amazing. How amazing, merciful, loving, and kind is God. That even when the people request something so bad, God will give it to them, and God will still accomplish his purpose by saving his people. Here is Saul, an ungodly man, and God is like, well, you know what? I'm going to use him to help you. I'm going to use him to save you. I'm going to use him to save you. And third, what do we learn? We learn of God's motive. <laughs> this, this, this is really, really good. Notice in your Bible. Notice in your Bible. For I have seen my people because the cry has come to me. <laughs> Even in their horrible requests, that God sees that his people are crying and God answers. Even in their horrible requests, God answers. And this is what Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. But notice, notice here in Samuel, the Lord refers to Israel as my people three times. Saul will be prince over my people Israel. Saul will save my people since I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. Isn't it amazing? But don't miss this. Come in closer. Write this down if you can. This shows, this passage of Scripture, this verse shows However rebellious his people might be, God has no intention of relinquishing his ownership and love for his people. Isn't that amazing? No matter what, his ownership over his people, his love for his people, his chesed, which is his covenantal love in Scripture. As a matter of fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1, he calls his people his heritage. They are my heritage. And that word here gives us a great picture of God's possession that cannot be transferred to another. You are mine. You're mine. Even if you're asking for a king, I will give you a worldly king, but I will always be your king. Wow, that's mercy. That's mercy. You are mine. You are mine. What a blessing. And we have this blessing in the New Testament as well. We have this blessing. We are designated in the New Testament according to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. That's the Christian. I love what Ralph 
Davis mentions here. He says this, these foolish, stubborn people do not cease to be the object of Yahweh's compassions. If you are a child of God, you rejoice to see that your sin does not dry up the fountain of his compassions, that his pity refuses to let go of his people. This is true. This is true. But even in the kingship itself, we see how God will send a good king, David, and eventually, eventually, the people's request, which is not a good request, God turned that around for their good. God will send David, and then eventually the fulfillment of that will be Jesus, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. God is a good God to his people. But notice this as well. Fourth, what do we learn? We learn this. Saul's arrival here, and it mentions this in verse 17. He it is who shall restrain my people. This is another thing we learn here. A lot of commentators have some issues with this Hebrew word. And this Hebrew word, yaza, is the word used on a consistent basis to describe a sense of dominance and imprisonment. So in some of the translations, English translations, such as the, if you have the King James Bible, NIV, New King James, NLT, it translates this word, instead of restrain, it translates this word as rule. It's all will rule over God's people. The better word here is the word restrain. This is not a good ruling. This is an oppressive ruling here. This goes back to God's very prophecy when God told the people, if you want a king, this is what he will do. He will take, 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 take from you. And God is saying to the people, this is what Saul will do to you. He will bring a sense of oppression upon you. And some of you will even die because of his decisions. Saul here will restrain the people of God. One commentator mentioned this. He says the Lord had determined to use Saul's career as a means of punishing the nation. As he governed Israel, his policies and behavior would hinder the welfare of the nation and act as a sort of barrier separating Israel from God's best for them. A lot of words, but it's so true. Paul, Saul will restrain God's people. His decisions will be influenced by others around him, unwise counsel, and his emotions. Saul will do so much horrible things that even his godly son, Jonathan, he will question his motive. And even David, who is a man of God, he will question his motive. This is the problem here, that Saul is not a godly leader. He's not a godly leader. The text went on in verse 27. It shares with us an important passage of Scripture as well. Notice with me very carefully what he does here. And in verse 27, he says, And as they 
were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to pass before us. And when he had passed on, stop here yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. So here it is again, and we're going to continue reading in chapter 10 next week for sure. But here is a perfect picture of Samuel anointing Saul as king. And here what he's doing, he's letting him know exactly what he needs to do, what God had prescribed in Scripture for him to do. And when we notice this, friends, this should bring us to our knees. What kind of leader do you want to be? What kind of leader do you want to be under? Is it a worldly leader or is it a spiritual leader? And there are multiple applications here. One, if you are a leader, Pursue the things of God to be a servant leader. Two, for those of you who are not, pray for your leaders in the church. Pray for them. Pray for me. Pray for your Sunday school teachers. Pray for your leaders here in the local church that we will be a people that are pursuing God, serving others, loving the Word of God, that we're not focused on being worldly but spiritual. And finally, for those of you at home, you might say you're not a leader in the church, but you are a leader at home. If you are a wife or a husband, if you have children, you are called to lead. So what kind of leadership do you possess? Is it worldly or is it spiritual? This is a great passage of Scripture for us here to observe, to see, and to apply. And most importantly, coming closer, don't miss this. Our greatest leader here is not David. Although David is going to outshine Saul. But we notice even in David's life that he messed up. Even in his own life, in his own family, that he did horrible things. David was a sinner. You know who is not a sinner? It's Jesus. So we look to Jesus. This text points us to Jesus, who is the ultimate leader. He is the head of the church. He is the head of our lives. And he deserves honor and glory. So join me as we pray. Father, we are thankful for the work of Christ on our behalf. We see a lot of deficiencies in the life of Saul. We see a man who was a worldly leader, and yet... The people of Israel exalted him in a position that he should not have been in. God, I pray that we are very careful with our petitions. When we pray for certain leaders, God, let us be biblical in every way possible. Let us ask for the right things, for the godly things, for the spiritual things. We are spiritual beings, God. And I, I've heard so many people who say, well, I'm a spiritual person when I'm around Christians, but when I'm not around Christians, I'm not a spiritual person. No, God, you've called us to be spiritual everywhere that we go. We're called to make much of our Lord Jesus Christ. In your mighty and precious name, amen.